of God. And every godly husband ought to be sensitive to that. But I think about all the people who do not have that problem. And so what do they do? They spend their time sitting in front of a television set, having their minds filled with the way the world thinks when they could cut it off and be quiet and have their minds and hearts feel what God thinks. Their emotions would be quieted. Their spirit would be quieted. They would begin to sense a rest within their hearts. Their whole being would be transformed. That is the power of the presence of God. Now think about this. You and I read the book of the Revelation. We think about the throne of God and the majesty and the power and the awesomeness of that. And we think, oh my, if, if, if I were in the presence of God, I'd fall on my face in his presence and in awe of him. Well, think about this. God hasn't reserved the privilege of being in his presence till the time we get to heaven. This is why Jesus said, I'm abiding in you and you're abiding in me. And because we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us, we have his presence within us. You see, the issue is it's awareness. If my ears are being bombarded with somebody else's thinking, their words or music or whatever it might be, I can't really concentrate upon him. He wants us in absolute quietness, listening, learning, and loving him. Solitude is not something you run from. Solitude is that experience of aloneness that you run to. And so when I think about all of the wonderful effects that it has upon our life, for example, I think about it this way. It really makes us more joyful and happier with our friends and people we work with when we have been alone with him. Because you see, you remember the Bible says that when Moses came down the mount, his face shone that, and when he'd come out of the tabernacle, he'd been with God, what a different countenance he had. You think about this. Is it not true and reasonable and likely that when you and I spend time with our heavenly father, quietly listening and learning and loving him, that surely it's going to make a difference in our life? Absolutely. Will somebody else be able to tell that? They won't know what's going on in your life. They'll just know that there's something about you that's a little different. And it won't make you prideful because, you see, they'll probably never know it. They'll never say anything to you about it. Even if they do, you couldn't tell them exactly what it is. You've just been in the presence of a loving Father, a living God. You don't like your circumstances? Get alone with Him. And just say to him, Father, I just want to listen to you. I want to learn from you. I want to love you. In my circumstances, I'm just going to spend time with you and see what you do in my life. You see, so often we're so busy telling him what he ought to do and how he ought to do it and when he ought to do it and get up and go on our way, he never gets a chance to say anything. Now, how many of you love to be in a conversation with somebody who does all the talking? Talk, 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 and you can't even get in word edgewise. You know what you want to do? You want to get up and walk out. You just want to walk away. Well, that's what we do to God, Heavenly Father. I want to thank you in Jesus' name, and we just go on and on and on. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We get up and walk away, and you know what? He hadn't said a word. He couldn't say anything for us running our mouth. God wants us to listen to him and enjoy the fellowship with him. Now, you know one thing that solitude will do? Listen carefully. It will deliver us from shallowness. And there are lots of people who name the name of Jesus Christ who are very shallow in their living. They're not walking holy before God. 
They don't share their faith. They compromise their convictions. They compromise their ethics. They compromise their morals. They read the Bible once in a while. That is a shallow form of life. God wants us to walk righteously and holy before him because he has the best for us. And in order for me to enjoy the best, I must surrender everything to him. Thanks for joining us today for In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. At the moment of salvation, God purifies our heart and gives us the Holy Spirit, and we benefit from and enjoy these gifts as we spend time with Him. We'll hear more about the power of solitude tomorrow, and you can listen again when you click Today on Radio at InTouch.org. Spending quality time alone with God takes some effort, but the benefits are worth any sacrifice. If you need some help with developing a fruitful time of prayer, search the many free resources our website has to offer. And open our online bookstore if you'd like to order a copy of Dr. Stanley's complete message, The Power of Solitude. Again, that's intouch.org or call 1-800-IN-TOUCH. You can write to us at In Touch, Post Office Box 7900, Atlanta, Georgia, 30357. Getting to know God requires spending time with Him. More thoughts on solitude are coming up in today's Moment with Charles Stanley. Trusting God each day can be a challenge, but working to grow that trust brings greater joy and peace than we could ever find on our own. In trusting God with today, the 365-day devotional from the teachings of Dr. Charles Stanley, we are encouraged to believe in God's love and rest in His purpose for us. Available now at intouch.org today. Do you take sermon notes on the back of your bulletin, jot scripture references on the offering envelope? Start keeping things in one place, one organized place, with the In Touch Note Takers Journal. This leather soft journal contains 150 pages for taking notes and includes Dr. Stanley's 30 life principles. Find everything in one convenient place with the In Touch Note Takers Journal. Call toll free 1 800 In Touch or visit intouch.org. You're listening to In Touch. A Christian who is always in a hurry could be missing something vitally important. Here's a moment with Charles Stanley. Solitude is a matter of being quiet, listening, learning, loving. And this is the thing that people have the most problem with. You say, well, you know, I knelt before the Lord, I got on my face, I lined the bed, and I said, okay, Lord, I, I want to listen and learn. About 60 seconds, don't hear anything, turn over and go to sleep. You know what that says? Haven't caught on yet. Listen, you can't rush God. You can't make him hurry. You know what? All of us have a schedule that he doesn't fit. Why do you think he waits? He waits to get us to walking in concert with him. We're in step with him. We're willing to wait. We're willing to be quiet. We're willing to listen. We're willing to learn. We're willing to love Him the way He wants to be loved, the way He desires to be loved, not in a hurry. And if most people were really honest, they'd have to be honest about the fact that most of their prayers are rather rapidly spoken. 
because they have plans to do something else as soon as they finish. You know what? That's not the way God operates. He wants our time and our heart, and He wants our attention upon Himself. You'll find resources to help you think of prayer as a cherished privilege at intouch.org. And if you are encouraged and equipped today to boldly live out your faith in Christ, we'd like to know. Tomorrow on In Touch, sometimes loneliness can paralyze us, but you can learn to turn time alone into periods of productivity and growth. You'll hear about that when you join us Thursday for In Touch, the teaching ministry of Dr. Charles Stanley. This program is a presentation of In Touch Ministries, Atlanta, Georgia, and remains on this station through the grace of God and your faithful prayers and gifts. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look in an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Street. A pitfall of the fallen human mind is how narratives can shape our perception of the world, even outweighing facts or common sense. For example, Nuclear power is one of the safest ways to generate electricity. Yet, because of three dramatic accidents and the press surrounding them, Three Mile Island in 1979, Chernobyl in 1986, and Japan in 2011, nuclear power is widely perceived as extraordinarily dangerous. And now similarly, a narrative being pushed by many in the press aims at rendering something else radioactive. Homeschooling. As a Washington Post analysis found late last year, homeschooling is America's fastest growing form of education. Around 2.7 million students are homeschooled in America today. That's up by about a million since before the pandemic. And for Washington Post reporters, well, that's scary. One article described homeschooling as, and I quote, a largely unregulated practice once confined to the ideological fringe, whose rise in popularity is leading critics to sound alarms. And a school board member from Florida echoed this concern, quote, Many of these parents don't have any understanding of education. The price will be very big to us and to society, but that won't show up for a few years, end quote. In a Washington Post article on December 2nd, Peter Jameson recounted the tragic death of an 11-year-old California boy named Roman Lopez. According to the Washington Post, the real thing to blame here was that Lopez's stepmom said she was homeschooling him. Home education was an easy way to avoid the scrutiny of teachers, principals, and guidance counselors, suggests Jameson. Yet, at the same time, he then admits, and I quote, Little research exists on the link between homeschooling and child abuse. The few studies conducted in recent years have not shown that homeschooled children are at significantly greater risk of mistreatment than those who attend public, private, or charter schools, end quote. Nine days later, they then devoted an article aimed at debunking the work of homeschool researcher and advocate Brian Ray, who's long argued that homeschoolers outperform their public school peers. With little substance to criticize Ray's methodology, the Post instead devoted the space to quoting anti-homeschooling activist and Ray's aggrieved adult daughter. And then, three days after Christmas, the Post ran another article by Peter Jameson on the growing fear among homeschooling families that state funding in the form of vouchers could also come with increased government oversight. Leaving little doubt about where he stands on the issue of state oversight, he chose to throw in a story about a network of Nazi homeschoolers in Ohio. To simultaneously note how homeschooling has exploded in popularity, but in almost every article refused to ask why that's the case, is at best a stunning lack of curiosity. Ultimately, this series of breathless attacks by the Washington Post on homeschooling just reveal an unquestioned assumption that children belong primarily to the state 
and not to parents. The rise in homeschooling, as well as Christian schooling, parent-run charter schools, and all kinds of other educational innovations today show that more and more families simply reject this assumption. And in doing so, they're acknowledging the biblical expectation that it's the parents and not the state who are ultimately responsible for teaching and raising children. Look, if the press wants to keep giving homeschooling the nuclear power treatment, they should also develop a bit of curiosity about why so many parents are choosing, often at great sacrifice to themselves, to take their children's education back into their own hands. And they should ask what that says about the status quo. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Shane Morris. And for more resources to live like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org.